All right, today is session eight, and the last session of our How to Be Good and Angry series. So I want to tell you what's coming up. We'll end our series today, and then next Sunday, and for the week after that, for the next two weeks, Dr. Combs is going to be doing a series titled The Bible and the Future. He'll be looking at a couple of very important issues for us to understand about what the Bible says regarding what's coming in the future. So that's the next two Sundays. The following Sunday, three weeks from today, is Easter. We will not have this uh, class on Easter Sunday. We will have one service that day, this hour, 11 o'clock, but it will be our worship service. So no 930 service, 11 o'clock, one service, worship. The following week, four weeks from today, we will start a new series. There's an insert in your program today about it titled Anxious for Nothing, and it's on the subject of worry. What does the Bible teach about worry? So we'll start that four weeks from today. So it gives you an idea of what we're uh, going to be doing. And uh, let me remind you, uh, men, about the request regarding the help needed to get this platform moved. Because of the Living Last Supper presentations this weekend, we need to move this. We're going to, later this week, reorient the seating so that's facing that way. When you come in next Sunday for service, everything will be facing that way. And we'll have our worship service and the this hour facing in that direction. So, guys, we were told we needed some help with that. But do we? What do you want to do? You don't want to help. Two people. Two people. All right. Only two. So here's here's the thing now. Everybody's going to figure it's covered. Nobody's going to show up. So do we have two? Do we have two who can stick around? How long are we talking? We're talking about fifteen minutes. Okay. Yeah, you got nobody. You're on your own. This is all James chapter 2, man. Be warmed and filled. We'll be praying for you on uh, on that. <laughs> John and I just staged this for me to provoke his anger and go into and go into our last session. So, uh if a couple of guys can stick around while John and Pete do what they need to do here and then help them uh move the platform pieces because they're going to move further this way and we're going to reduce the size of this uh, for that. If a couple of guys can't stick around uh, for that, please do. But we don't need as many as we thought. We were asking a bunch of guys to do that. Uh, We don't need that. All right. Today is our final session. You should have notes for session eight in front of you. And if you do not, get your hand up. There are guys with those. If you've come in just uh, now. Page 56. If you've not been here for The previous sessions, those are recorded online at our website, and the notes for those are available in our resource center, which is out that back door and across the hallway, so you can pick up notes for all of those previous sessions. So if you just missed one or two, you can do that as well. But today we're going to conclude our time together by looking at a scenario that is common. It's a scenario that happens to all of us, and then we're going to try to tease that out. Now, I wanted to do two things in the 40 minutes that we have together. One is go through eight questions that each of us needs to ask ourselves in order to implement what we've learned in the last seven weeks. Uh, And then the second one was to talk about hard cases, hard issues. What about this? What about that? Uh, as I time this out, I'm thinking I won't get to the last page, uh, the what about the hard cases. Uh, so if any of those cases apply to you, though, I'm, I'm happy. I'm always available to try to help you with that. And I apologize in advance, but I, I don't think we'll get there. Maybe we will. But if you'll take a look at page 55, first page of session eight. The last lesson provided God's outlook on your anger and gave you ways to understand your struggles with it. In this lesson, we get more specific. We'll see a vivid snapshot of a typical moment of irritation. And then we'll look at eight questions to help make sense of an incident of anger, whether it's mild or momentary, intense or longstanding. So I want to read this page, page 55, 
which gives the incident, and then we'll break it down to see what it is we need to do in order to get a handle on something like this. A common story of anger. Imagine you have to get to a very important appointment. Perhaps you've been sick for several months with a mysterious ailment and a top specialist squeezed in an appointment for you as a favor to your family. Or perhaps you're making a major sales presentation. You've been working on this for six months and today's the day. Perhaps an old friend finally agreed to get together for lunch after years of alienation from each other. Your appointment is for noon and you're running a little late. It's now 11.55 and you're still 10 minutes away. So you're hurrying, you're pushing the speed limit to make up time. All of a sudden, a line of taillights stretches out ahead of you as far as you can see. Traffic comes to a paralyzed halt. You sit. You pull out your cell phone to make a call. The battery is dead. The minutes are ticking away. You're incommunicado. The traffic shows no immediate signs of ensnarling. How do you react? One common response? You snarl. And your, you snarl. You know, the traffic was snarled. <laughs> now you snarl. And your anger shows no immediate signs of unsnarling. It might be only a spasm of irritation and disgust. It might be rock, it might rocket into full-blown road rage. But either way, you feel some degree of rapidly mounting frustration. Who are you mad at? The idiot driver who caused an accident? The bozos in the Department of Transportation who decided to do midday construction? All those other drivers who decided to clutter up your road and get in the way of your plans. Are you mad at your sickness? At the sales rat race, if you're that salesman? At your hypersensitive friend? At yourself? At the fates who are always conspiring to mess up your life? At God who runs such a frustrating universe? When you've got to get somewhere but get stuck in traffic, you're handed a great opportunity to learn the ABCs of anger. You'll also learn the ABCs of many other basic life struggles. When you're idling in traffic while an important meeting slips away, anger rarely stands alone. You might feel lots of other things at the same time. Often all the bad feelings come rolled into one seething ball of miseries. For example, in addition to anger, perhaps you're anxious. Stewing on the highway, you worry, envisioning dire consequences. Maybe it's cancer and I'm going to die. Will I lose the sale? Will I lose my job, my house? What if my ex-friend gets huffy because I'm late for lunch, writes me off yet again and talks about me to all our friends? Or you might feel extremely helpless and very unhappy. A painful anguish grips you. Such feelings are a small taste of the stubborn darkness that gets called depression when it takes over. Maybe you feel guilty, flooded with if-onlys. If only I'd left home, uh, left some buffer time. If only I'd listened to the traffic report on the radio. If only I'd plugged in my cell phone last night. If only I didn't always procrastinate. Perhaps you feel a sudden, deep need for something to make you feel better, to make you forget your problems. You restlessly surf around the radio dial, hoping to find something to drown your sorrows. You gobble a bag of peanut M&Ms in eight seconds. And then another bag of eminence. All in all, stuck in traffic, you are definitely not a happy camper. Now, we each fill in our own details. Some might relate to the M&Ms, but don't uh, relate to the if-onlys. Though the details differ from person to person, these are reactions that are basic human nature in facing life's petty frustrations. So it's a traffic jam. And you may have different things you're in that traffic for. You've got the sales appointment and presentation. You've got a doctor that you're going to see. You've got a friend that you're trying to catch up with that you haven't seen for a long time. For some reason, you're in that traffic, and it's now stopped, and you're running late, and a lot of things are going on for you. So we're going to use that as then an example to tease out what happens with each of us and to try to get an idea as to what it is we should do in our reactions to these common provocations that happen in life. So specifically, what should I do on page 56? Think of the following questions as helping you push the pause button and then to help you advance the video frame by frame. So the idea is, you know, when you're in there, it's 1155, you're in your car, you're late, it's just all happening. And you're not consciously thinking about 
why it's happening and what all's going on inside of you. The idea here now is to help us just pause. Let's take a look at that and let's just go frame by frame and let's retrace what's happening with you. And what's happening with you in that situation is going to be different than what's happening with me. We're going to react differently depending on our personalities, depending on our spiritual maturity, a lot of factors, but we're all going to react, as we will see, one way or another. So these are eight questions that will help you diagnose and deal with your anger. So first of all, what is my situation? So what is going on that aroused your irritation? Who is it that you're, you're mad at? What is happening that triggered this? What's the situation? What's the event? Or who is the, who is the person that evoked this from you? So there's the traffic jam, but then there are the other angers that you get in, you get involved with. So plug your own in here, uh, as completely and honestly as you can. You know, if for you, anger happens at, which happens a lot of times, it happens at particular times in particular kinds of situations. So what are those? What is the situation? Uh, what is going on that aroused you, or irritated you? Who are you mad at? What triggered it? What's the situation, the event, or the person? And assumed in all of that, friends, is that anger is provoked. Anger is provoked. Now, when we say provoked, we usually use that as a blame-shifting mechanism. You or it provoked me. We're going to see that the real issue is not the situation and what's going on. The issue then is how am I going to react to what's going on. So the real issue is me in my own anger. So, the, But the reason here I say anger is provoked is because there is always some stimulus. There's always something that, uh, that attended this displeasure, this anger that, that I've shown. So anger is provoked by someone or something. What is it? Is it just the fact it's the, that I'm going to be late and, um, or I'm, my friend is going to be upset? What is the event that, uh, that's going on that causes your anger? It's always provoked, and that's because of the definition we gave you in lesson number two on page number 10 of what anger is. Page 10 of your notes, session two. If you don't have that, get it in the resource center. We said that anger is the constructive displeasure of mercy. That's good anger. Constructive displeasure of mercy. Bad anger is the destructive displeasure of self-centeredness. Remember that? All right, but notice both of them have something in common. They both have displeasure. One is constructive displeasure. The other one is destructive displeasure. So you've got displeasure. You've been provoked to be displeased with something. And what we're asking here in this first question is, what is that? So what happens in this question now, in this situation, what's happening to you? Not, this is all, what's what's going on on the outside of you is what's happening now. What's the circumstance? What's the situation? What's happening to you? We're not talking about what you do here. It's what's been done, what's happening. So uh, there might be a lot of factors. What's happening is I have an important meeting. What's happening is it's 11.55 and I've got a meeting at noon. Uh, what's happening is there's a traffic jam. What's happening is my cell phone doesn't work. So you could have a whole list of these things, and that in this first question is what we're asking. You apply it to the situations in which you are provoked to anger and ask yourself, what are the kinds of things that are happening here? So you come home, and what's happening? Well, the, the kids are yelling. You know, they're, they're disruptive. The house is messy. Again, this is not stuff you did. This is just the situation. I'm tired. Um, 
this is, and that factors into what they're doing or failing to do. Um, the, the family is ignoring me. I walked into a room and they treated me like the poor guy in the song that I've quoted you before from Supertramp where you take the long way home. And why do you, part of the reason you take the long way home is because your wife, I'm quoting, seems to think you're part of the furniture. And that can happen then in homes. Somebody walks into a room and you say nothing to them. You don't greet them. You don't treat them with any value. So that might be part of what's going on in your situation. My family is ignoring me completely. So you've got to play that out and ask yourself what's happening to you. We don't want right now what you do. We want what's being done. What other people are doing or just what the situation is. No matter how mundane, write that down. Think about it. So these do not describe you, but they describe things that or people that you must react to. So before we go to the next question, please understand, as a human being created with this good capacity for anger, remember it was designed to be good, we distort it for evil. But as a human being made with this good capacity to anger, then you must react. You're going to react. But we're not asking you about your reaction yet. We're just asking you about the persons and the things that are going on to which you're going to react. Everybody good? Second question then is, how do I react? All right, so that's what's going on. There's the traffic jam. I've got a meeting in five minutes. Uh, It's an important meeting. I've been sick. Um, I haven't seen this friend in a lot of years. Those are all the things that are happening. My family's ignoring me. The place is a mess. Those kind of, that's just what's happening. But then there is the question of how do I react? And how do I react in my thoughts and in my actions? So first are my thoughts. What am I thinking when I'm in this situation? Well, let me give you some examples of what you might be thinking. You may be in your mind confessing other people's sin. Everybody in this room confesses regularly. Unfortunately, we don't confess our own sins. We confess other people's sins. Internally, we're thinking about what other people are doing versus what they should have done. We're thinking about what's happening versus the way it should be happening. We're reacting mentally, internally, and that internal mental reaction may include confessing other people's sins. Just chewing on them mentally. Or you may be thinking about how is the other person going to vent when I show up late? So your mind might be going to that other person. That's your reaction. You're thinking about that. Or your thoughts may be self-recrimination. I'm such an idiot. Why can't I ever do anything? I am. I always do. You know, I get this one chance to make this presentation and I mess it up. And I'm going to blow the whole thing. And your mind is just going like that. So you're reacting. You're reacting mentally. You may be sitting there in that traffic jam. You got that illness. You're wondering what it is. The doctors fit you in. You're trying to get there. And now you're just playing the whole thing out. Well, who's going to be at the funeral? I don't know. Will they have anything good to say? You're planning. You start planning your funeral. You have physiological things that are going on. Is your blood pressure rising? That's a reaction. You have a physical and physiological reaction to it. So if you really want to diagnose what's going on with you and your anger, then you lay out the situation. What's going on? This is all the stuff outside of you that's happening to you by things or persons. But then how do you react? And how do you react, first of all, in your thoughts? What are you thinking? But then how do you react in your actions? 
What do I do? I'm thinking stuff. We're all thinking stuff. We're all reacting, every last one of us. And we may be, and often, forget maybe, we often are reacting in destructive ways. But what do we do? We're thinking in destructive ways. Now what do we do because of the way we're thinking? Well, you're in that traffic jam. What are some of your options? (laughs) Uh, Just get right on somebody's bumper. Tailgate them to let them know how frustrated you are. One of my favorite, just beep your horn. For the heck of it. I mean, nobody can move, but just put your, beep your horn anyway. You know? And, you know, you're looking around like, who's the... Now I'm at, you know, at the idiot who's beeping his horn. So you could tailgate. You could you could beep your horn. You could just groan. Maybe it's just something low level. A groan, a sigh. When you get there, when you do finally arrive... Then do you let out an outburst of anger at all the frustration that built up to the doctor, uh, to this friend that's been waiting on you? Do you make excuses? How do you react in your thoughts? How do you react in your actions? All right, so think about those. Whatever the situation is, whether the traffic jam the kids at home, the way the house is when you get home from work, whatever the deal is, something that's happening at work, something that happens in the lunchroom at work or at school, some meeting you have to be a part of that you hate to go to because that person is there and they do whatever it is they do. All right, so there's, what's the situation? How do I react? And then thirdly, what are my motives? What are my motives? And here we're asking questions that really start to get to the heart of the matter, literally start to get to the heart of the matter. I mean, so far, we're just looking at, you know, what's going on, what's happening, describing that. And then we're just describing, hopefully truthfully and objectively, how do I react in my thoughts and in my actions? But now we want to get deeper. Why am I thinking that way? And why then am I doing those things? What's going on at the deeper level, the motivational level, that's causing me to do this? Now, the easy answer would be to say, if I'm in that traffic jam, uh, what are your motives? This is the why question. Why are you thinking these things? Why are you doing these things? The easy answer would be to say, because there's a traffic jam. That's why, because there's a traffic jam. Or because there's a traffic jam and I only got five minutes. That would be the easy answer and the answer that many of us would give to why I'm thinking and doing what I'm doing. But it would be the wrong answer. So let me give you this illustration. I should have brought a bottle of water up here with me to do this illustration. So just imagine I have a bottle of water. The bottle of water is full. There's no top on it. The top is off. I have the bottle of water And I shake it. And what's going to happen? Water comes out. And then I say to you, why did water come out? And you say, because you shook it. Yeah. But the real reason water came out, now get this, is because there was water in there. That's why water came out. Because there was water in it. And the reason you're reacting the way you're reacting is not because of something that's happening, not because it got shook, not because there's a traffic jam. It's because of what's in there. What's coming out is coming out because of what's already in. And doesn't the Bible teach this? James 4, we saw last week, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle where? Within you. Didn't Jesus say, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks? So here we're we're saying, why are you doing this? We want to get to what's going on inside of you. We don't want an answer like, There's a bottle of water that's got a top open and it's full and you shook it. We don't want now 
There's a traffic jam. We already covered that under number one. That's the situation. Here is what's happening inside of me. What are my motives? And are my motives, what's happening inside of me, are not because of the situation. They're because of what's inside. Now, how am I going to get to that? How are you going to get to that? Well, you need to ask. We need to ask some questions. Um, our motives decide which direction we're going to go. They're what give rise to the thoughts and the actions. Our expectations are what gets us moving. Something or some things internally are controlling you and thus motivating you to think and talk and act the way you do in the situation. Something's controlling you or some things, plural, are controlling you. And they'll motivate you, they'll control you, they'll direct you, they'll energize you. So I've said this to people in counseling for a lot of years. Whatever causes you to lose control controls you. When you get the reactions and you finally blow up internally, maybe, maybe you've still bottled it up. You know, you're not going to, that guy you're trying to sell, make the presentation to, you're not going to blow up in his office. You'll wait to kick the dog or the cat. I told you it's okay to kick cats. I told you that. <laughs> you'll blow up at the kids. You'll do your transfer anger. You might, but when you blow up, when you lose control, it's because something is controlling you, something internalized. You're motivated because of something or some things. So here are some questions. In this moment of anger, what do you want? I want, and it might be, I want to get where I need to get. Okay, that's your answer. But it's what you want. Or ask yourself, ask yourself what I want, and then ask yourself what you believe you need. There's what I want, and then there's what I need. And you might add, I need and I can't live without. What do you most fear? What do you want? What do you think, what do you believe you need? What do you most fear? You know, is it, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my health. I'm going to lose my reputation. Reputation. In this situation, at 11.55 a.m. in this traffic jam, with you about to miss an appointment, what do I, here's the fourth, fourth question now on my motives, what do I love? What do I most love? I love blank with all my heart right now. Now, in that moment, let's just cut to the chase. Is the answer going to be, I love God with all my heart right now? It's not, is it? We are, we, so we've already got a problem, don't we? Because that's supposed to be, I'm supposed to be able to give that answer. I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my mind, with all of my soul. But there's something else I'm loving. Here's another one. What is the centerpiece of your hopes and your dreams? Life will be grand. Life will be a joy if only blank. And so this is the opposite of how we tend to think in the heat of the moment. We think I'm angry because of the traffic, because of the cell phone, because of that trashed appointment. We point fingers. We look outside for the cause. The real cause is inside. So stay with me. Here's an easy way to prove that again. Imagine that you had wanted to, I want to avoid the appointment. What if you didn't really want to go to the doctor, but your spouse made the appointment and nagged you into going? What if you were ill-prepared for that sales call and you'd love a good excuse to buy more time? What if that estranged friend had set up the luncheon to reconcile and you'd rather nurse your hurt feelings? In these cases, you might be downright joyful at being stuck in the exact same traffic jam. You see, it's not the traffic jam then, is it? Because it's the same situation. But I'm bringing a totally different perspective to it because of my motivations. 
And my motivations are the things I want, the things I've convinced myself that I, I need, the things that I really love, the things that are the object of my hopes and my dreams. So what are my, what are my motives? And then ask yourself the fourth, fourth question, page 56. What are the consequences? There are consequences for how you think, talk, and act in reaction to the situation that's outside of you. And all of how you think and talk and act are motivated by what's going on in your heart. And so what you want, what you think you need, what you love, what you fixed your hopes and dreams on, and all of that's going to result in consequences. It will have consequences. If you do it right, it'll have really good consequences. But as most of us don't do it right, it's going to have bad consequences. The Bible guarantees this. You reap, what does it say? You reap what you sow. You're sowing these consequences in the way you think and in the way you act, all motivated by what you want, need, love, and fix your hopes and your dreams on. The Bible guarantees that this will happen. Now, here's what I don't get. I get people that come to me and they want to tell me about their problems. I get that. That's fine. What I don't get is, as the person lays out their problems, almost without fail, they don't see themselves as a player in the problem. Almost without fail, it's what's happening. It's what's happening to me. It's not what's happening inside of me. And so they lay out, you know, who the problem person and what the problem situation is in their life. And I've heard this record a thousand times. I could, you know, if I could just get a generic name and say, for all of your problems, let's just invoke the name Bob. Sorry to all the Bobs. And I'm just going to hit a recording and we're going to play it because I've heard it and we'll just be able to cut through this. Because it's the, it's the same song. And so then what I do, having heard that song, is I'll say, well, hey, let's change the, the circumstance. How, how are you getting along in this situation? How are you getting along in that situation? And the truth is, the situation that is most in their mind at that moment is not the only situation. It's never the only situation. Do you know why? Because you can change a dress, but you take the same heart with you. If it's really coming from inside you, then other provocations, and the world is full of provocations, is it not? The only provocations you have are not at home. They're at work. They're at church. And you'll find yourself having similar kinds of issues to one degree or another, maybe a lesser degree, I grant. But to one degree or another, you will have the same kinds of issues at school, at work, in other places all proving that all the stuff you just spilled out to me about what your problem is really ain't your problem. Forgive the grammar. So, you know, I don't want to be unkind, but how's that working out for you? How's it working out for you to continually blame what's going on outside of you? I already know the answer to that. Not well, that's why you're sitting in front of me. So why don't we get to the inside job that's happening? What's happening inside of you? Not what's happening with her or him or them or it. And there are consequences and they're bad. And that's why you keep going through this. You reap what you sow. So bad attitudes are highly contagious. So here are some examples. Uh, perhaps your aggressive kind of dog-eat-dog, me-first attitude provokes others around you to do more of the same. Perhaps as drivers aggressively edge forward to merge, I grind my bumper into the fender of the car, squeezing in from the right, getting an earful of hostility and the unhappy prospect of paying a $250 deductible. So I'm out of money, which is ironic if you're the sales guy because you were trying to make money. 
Perhaps I reap emotional and physical consequences. Guilt, increasing stress and tension, stomach ache, headache. Angry people have a higher incidence of heart disease and Alzheimer's. Did you know that? So I'm out health. And that's ironic because I was on my way to the doctor. Perhaps. Perhaps my temper continually hurts the people who are around me. So I'm out relationships. Which is ironic because you might have been going to see that friend that you're trying to relate to again. These first four questions explore the problem. Now the next four questions on the next page try to point toward the solution. Questions to remedy your anger. And you ask yourself questions. All right, so what is true? What's really true? You know, if I go back to question three and you've laid out what do I want and what have I convinced myself that I need, what is it that I really love? Who is it that I really love? What are my hopes and my dreams fixed on? You go back to that. What's motivating me? What's animating me? Energizing me? But now step back and say, all right, what's really the deal? What's really true? Let's analyze those things that you want and those things that you convinced yourself that you need, those things that you love and have your hopes and dreams. Let's analyze those. Is that really the deal? So what's really true? And how am I going to do this? Well, the details, this is the beauty of the Bible, friends, if you use the Bible as intended. The details are not in the Bible. To my knowledge, there were no traffic jams in the Bible. But the kinds of things that go on in your life and in my life are all in the Bible. And you've got to then transfer those and what was happening as God spoke to those to what's happening to you. So consider, of all things, Psalm 23. Because remember, we're going back to question three. Well, what do you want? And how does Psalm 23 start? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, what? I shall not want for what I really need, for what I really need, because God is my shepherd. Well, that starts to change things, doesn't it? I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, so when I'm in that car in traffic and I'm incommunicado and I'm feeling frustrated, I'm feeling alone in a threatening world, nobody's looking out for me. Is that ever true for a Christian person? Nobody's looking out for me. The Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not be in want. So I'm just going to bounce through this with you. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Okay, somebody is making me lie down. He makes me lie down in a rich and nourishing place. And someone is leading me to a self-satisfying place. A safe, satisfying place. So here David is talking about coming to a very good place in the middle of a tough place. Just like you would do with sheep. You're not going to go there, you're going to go here. And God's doing that as your shepherd. So in that traffic jam at 11.55, bottled up on the highway, and your plans are draining away, can someone get you to a good place? Out of that, can God bring good out of that? Can he or not? Not only can he, he will. He restores my soul. Describes being turned around inside and out. He turns me from a bad place to a good place. He gives me, brings me from a destructive place to a constructive place. He brings me back to life. He restores my soul, quenching my ups, upset, refreshing me, and giving me himself. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
This recognizes that God leads me in the paths of righteousness. And it describes walking through life on a path in which everything wrong is being made right. Everything wrong about me, anger, bitterness, fear, anguish, escapism, all of it is being straightened out. Everything wrong wrong with the world that I live in around me, loss of money and health and friendship and reputation is being reversed. God is in the process of doing all of that. So do you believe that? And that he leads me in paths of righteousness, says it's for his name's sake. It's because of who he is. God has a stake in the way this goes. So God is going to make sure that he does the work that he needs to do in your life because he's got a dog in that fight, namely his own reputation. It's for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Remember, it was what I want. It's what I've convinced myself I need. You know, what are you feeling? What are you fearing is going to happen? If you don't get it. But with the Lord, according to the Psalm Psalm 23, I can fear no evil. But why? Because you're with me. God's with you in that traffic jam. God's with you in that health diagnosis. God is with you in, in all that. You know this. But you forget it. As do I. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's the shepherd's tool for lifting a sheep out of trouble, fighting off predators. God does that. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So a few things about that. First, that psalm tells us God is present, he's personal, and he's active in everything that's going on in your life. And Jesus summarized the the Bible's goal in this way, that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This is the way life is meant to be, and God is moving everything in that direction. That's what the psalmist is saying. He's moving everything in the direction of the way it's supposed to be. And then there's this third thing. You cannot do without that help. You've got to have the shepherd. You cannot do. You cannot be without God's help. So then, that brings you to number six. How do I turn to God for help? This is an action step. You turn to God, you ask for help, you seek mercy, you knock on the door, you humble yourself, you transact with God. You meet with Him, you tell Him you need Him, you trust Him. You talk it all out with Him. By filling out some of this. Yikes, quickly. Lord, you are blank. You are. And then just go through what you know about the Lord. Lord, you're my shepherd. Lord, you're in control. You're sovereign. You're good to me. I'm facing blank. Whatever it is. You promise, Lord, these things. I've done wrong by, be specific, I've done wrong by not trusting you, by not believing you're sovereign, by not believing that you have my best interest at heart, by not coming to you. Please forgive me. Four, list those things. I love you because. Notice you're changing now the things you want. You're changing now the things you think you need. You're changing now and refocusing from what it was you loved to I love you because. Please help me too. Thank you for. And I rejoice that you. Now it's turn to God. Talk to God. Talk to God that way. When we are stressed, when we're in trouble, here's what we do. We talk to all the wrong people. We confess other people's sins to ourselves. We talk to other people. When the person we should be talking to is God and we should be talking to God about our stuff and our stuff includes what's going on inside of us. So then how can I respond constructively In this situation. 
Well, at the simplest level, you now can take a deep breath and relax. You're trusting that God is indeed in control. But there are other fruits that come out. You become a charitable, courteous driver. You let a couple of cars in. Yikes, have you ever thought of that? So what does it matter if you're two more car lengths behind? The traffic jam is no longer a dog-eat-dog battle for you. You verbalize thanks to God instead of verbalizing the other stuff. And your blood pressure is going up and all of that. And what are the, the consequences? A long list of good consequences come out of you now. Identifying what do I really want? What should I want? What do I need? What do I love? Where are my hopes and dreams? All right. Friends, I'm asking, I'm pleading for some of you to go through this and transact with God that way about what's going on in your hearts, all right? Now, we're going to pray. Actually, we'll pray after we have our meeting. And you remember that we have a meeting for voting on uh, ordination for Rich and Larry. So if you're a member of our church, then the guys are going to distribute ballots And if you're a member of the church, take one of the ballots and mark on it. You can go ahead and distribute those guys. If you're not a member, we're just trusting you. If you're not a member, then don't take one. Just pass them down. And then just mark yes or no next to Rich's name, next to Larry's name. And we will collect those here momentarily. So just take a few moments to do that. Now, while they're doing that, to make it formal, I need to... Remind you as to what it is we're voting on in a little more detail, and then I'll take a motion in a second, and then we'll collect the ballots. But if you're a member of our church, then you know that for months uh, we have been talking about moving toward ordination for Rich Carrico and Larry Castle. Uh, I mentioned that at a couple of our previous family meetings, congregational meetings. I mentioned that at the two servants seminars that we have. I've sent some emails around about that. Our leadership team has met with both of the men to... Uh, query them about their doctrinal positions. We have sent out evaluation forms to people that work with them regarding their character and how that lines up with what 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 say about what an elder, a pastor is to be. We've gotten those back, two for each of the men, two for each of their wives. All eight of them are just uh, glowing recommendations from unbelieving people who know who know all four of them. So the leadership team is recommending that we proceed with ordination for both Rich and Larry, and we would do that at a Sunday morning service on May the 21st if the church approves of that. So that's what this is. We've told you about that. And that sheet that's being distributed just says that I affirm the recommendation of the leadership team to proceed with ordination for uh, these men on March the 21st or May, May the 21st. Uh, yes or no next to each one. So if you, everybody got those? No? Okay, we don't have, we need some up here, uh, fellas, thanks. And then what we'll do is our deacons will get those, they will count them, and then I will send a note to the church family this afternoon just letting you know that that was approved or not approved. Okay? What do you need? Okay. All right. Um, a few people didn't get them. Is that right? Who are members? Somebody did not. So we got some back here who did not. We do not want you people to vote. Uh, troublemakers back there. Do not give them. Do not give them ballots. Okay. All right. And we got a couple extra over here. Yeah. All right, so what we're going to do, those of you that didn't get one, I'm told they're making some more, but we're going to let everybody else go by having you guys collect. Those of you that did get them, fill them out, right? So if you will turn them in then to the center, is that okay? So to here and to there, that aisle and that aisle, and the guys will collect them. Thank you. So there you go, Jeremy.
And for those of you that didn't get them, we'll get those to you. So before you leave, you can add yours, your ballots to these that are being collected, okay? You have some more, John? Is it back there, I think? It's back by the sound booth. Anybody over here need them? By the sound booth, John, you got some folks who need them. Thank you. All right. Let's ask the Lord to then bless us this week and we'll be dismissed, okay? Ah. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thank you. So I said let's formalize it and I gave the description, but I needed to take a motion and a second so that that's uh, on record. Thank you. <clears throat> so I need a motion uh, for the church to proceed with ordination of Rich and Larry uh, as recommended by the leadership team on May the 21st. Do I have a motion to that effect? Dr. Combs, thank you. I need a second for that as well. I have Dr. Combs and I have, who do I have? Bob Allen? Okay, thank you. Dr. Combs and Bob Allen, all right. And then we don't do the all in favor because on paper you're letting us know whether you're in favor, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessings of this day and the opportunity to learn of you, to be with in your presence in the special way when your people are gathered, to be with one another. Lord, to learn these important issues of contentment and how to handle our anger. Help us to put these, Lord, into place. Help us not to be forgetful hearers. Help us to do what you say. Help us to obey and thereby please you. Lord, we thank you as well for the opportunity to transact your business. It's your business for your church. And we thank you for bringing uh, Rich and Tracy and Larry and Julie into our midst and to serve with us. And uh, we would desire that we could do this uh, at the pastoral level. We ask you to grant the wisdom uh, to us as we do this and that uh, that uh, we will please you in the way we go about it in the weeks and, and months and years ahead. So, Lord, we commit this as all things to you. We want to do all that we do under your tender hand and submit to your will. We ask you now, Lord, to go with us this week, and we ask you to grant us safety and bring us back together next Lord's Day. In the name of Jesus, amen.